Well, good morning. How many of you have a hokey headache? Sometimes you just feel like you've been on the field when the game's over, don't you? But it's just a ball game. So, happy Sunday morning. On to more important things. Glad to see you today. Glad to have guests with us this morning. If you're joining us online, we're thrilled that you decided to be a part of our worship time today here at Trinity, and now it's time for the most important part of the morning. You know, music prepares your heart, doesn't it? That music segment was excellent, and I appreciate Greg and his leadership, and and uh, we're blessed to have a variety of music here at Trinity, and I like it all, and uh, variety is a wonderful thing. So we're glad you're joining us this morning. If you tuned in looking for John, you can find him at Riverview Baptist today up in Ripplemead. He's speaking for their revival up there, so I'm glad that he can go and share with them and be a blessing to them. We consider Riverview a sister church. Sean Wilburn was pastor there for many years, and now Mike Michener is there. And it's good for pastors to be able to go and share with other pastors and encourage other churches, so we're glad that John can do that today. People have been asking him if he's enjoying vacation Well, he's not exactly on vacation, speaking twice, going to conferences, and he's also preparing for a a lecture series that he's going to be giving in Africa from Virginia, of course, through Ben. He'll be teaching a a theology course there, so uh, lots of virtual um, information to share, I think like 39 um, lectures he's preparing. So pray for John while he's doing that. I always come across things that I think maybe somebody else could use. You like David Jeremiah? I love David Jeremiah. Um, he's my kind of preacher because I always come away with something I can use from him. So I, I subscribe to his daily devotional, and I thought something that he shared this week was very encouraging. It's entitled, Only One Safe Place. Did anybody else see it? Do you remember? couple of you did. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 5, 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. Talking about the day of the Lord's return. And here was the devotional. During the yellow fever pan- uh, epidemic in Philadelphia in 1793. I didn't know there was a yellow fever epidemic. Did you? 1793. Dr. Benjamin Rush, a medical doctor refused to leave the city, feeling God had placed him there for such a time. He told his medical students, As for myself, I am determined to remain. I may fall a victim to the epidemic, and so may you, gentlemen, but I prefer, since I am placed here by divine providence, to fall in... uh, to fail to fall in performing my duty than to secure my life by fleeing from the post of duty allotted in the providence of God. Here's the rest of the story. Rush, Dr. Rush, survived the plague and left us a lasting lesson. The safest place is always in the center of God's will. Plagues and pandemics come and go. Violence rises and falls. Evil goes from bad to worse. But when we're in the daily course of divine duty, we are shielded by our God, safe and secure from all alarm. The worst thing that can happen to us is the best thing. The Lord will take us to heaven. So don't live in fear today. Follow the footsteps of the Savior And there's a quote here by Aline Mello. Going through trials doesn't mean I'm outside of God's will, but rather that he is with me, guiding me through them. And God's people said to that, Amen. Bob Pauly went through a trial. And as a result, he's in heaven today, and we're thankful, aren't we? We shared with their family yesterday, there's no doubt where he is. He lived a life that, Uh, not only claimed the gospel, but that portrayed the gospel. And I shared the fruit of the Spirit passage at the graveside yesterday with the family, saying, that was Bob. It was the Spirit of God living through him. 
what a Christian gentleman he was and what a legacy he's left for his family. And uh, we're going to miss him. So pray for their family. Thank you, Greg, for doing that. And pray for Madeline, especially these days. The providence of God. Almost 90 years Bob lived. God knew the day he would be born and he knew the day he would go to heaven. And he knows the same for us. So relax. Rest in his providence. Uh, You're in his hand if you're his child. And I like the quote, and I can't give it exactly, but one man said, nothing can happen to me until God is finished with me. I'm in his hand. I've been called to do his work. And when he's finished, he'll take me to heaven. And that's true for all of us. So so trust in him. And don't live in fear. Uh, Live in faith, trusting God. That's the message before the message this morning. Now, we're in a series entitled, Truths You Probably Won't Learn at School. And it's mainly for young people, but it's not just for young people. This uh, Old dogs can learn some new things, right? And the amazing thing about the Word of God is, you can hear it as a young person, and you can get one thing, you can hear it later in life, in another stage or season of life, and get something else you need, and even toward the end of life, you can hear it and get yet something else. So you never can exhaust the truth of the Word of God. It always has something to say to us, and it's always relevant. I found that to be true in my own life, and I know you have too. We're looking at the words of Solomon, the wise man Solomon. And Scripture tells us that He spoke some 3,000 proverbs, can you imagine? And he wrote over a 1,000 songs. And we have access to about 800 of Solomon's wise sayings from God in the book of Proverbs. There were some other men who wrote just a a little bit of Proverbs, but mainly it's the wisdom of the man named Solomon, who many believe was the wisest man that ever lived. So we're studying these truths for a few weeks here in a series entitled Truths You Probably Won't Learn in School. Now, you could learn them from an unexpected source. You could learn them from a Christian teacher. You could learn them from a principal or someone that God has placed in your life uh, who loves you and who cares about you and who believes in the same truth that you do. But you could probably go all the way through the system and miss a lot of these things. So I'm sharing some things with you this morning that I hope will be a blessing to you. So far, we've learned that God is the only source of wisdom. Lots of information in our world, isn't there? Tons of information. In fact, we live in a time when information comes at us so fast that we don't even have time to vet it. But we'd better vet it. We'd better think about the source we better, uh, and, and by the way, here's a, here's a good, my wife's a librarian. She shares this with me constantly. Always go to primary sources. Make sure of your source. Thank you, honey, for reminding me of that. There's all kinds of things on the Internet. There's all kinds of things. Where did you hear that from? Well, I don't know. I read it in some article. Well, who wrote the article? What were, what were their credentials? So uh, always vet your information and you'll find out that a lot of it's just somebody else's opinion. There's not much truth there at all, and very little wisdom. We live in a time of lots of information, but little wisdom. So, those of us who are wise enough to go to God's Word and to learn God's truth, you can be wiser than most of society. You have a jump on society. You have Christ living within you, the Holy Spirit teaching you the Word. And then if you go to the source of wisdom, you can have more wisdom than your teacher or your professor, even. Now, you might not have all the knowledge they have, but you can can have more wisdom. So, avail yourself of the source of wisdom which is God's Word. Quick summary. If you missed the first two messages, you can always watch them. Maybe you're watching this months or weeks or years from now. Uh, You can go to our website and you can always catch up on message series. You can watch whole series if you want. And also on uh, Faith Life, our uh, communication platform. So hope you'll catch up. But here, in a nutshell, was the first message, the source of wisdom. It's God himself. But he gives us avenues to learn wisdom. 
First of all, his word. But what else? He gives us parents. And he gives us authority figures in our life who care about us, who love us, who know more than we do, who have lived longer than we have. And they're great sources of wisdom. And we should listen. But ultimately, it comes from God. But it comes through different avenues. Some good biblical advice I gave you last week. What was that advice? Be careful of the company you keep. Be very careful of the company you keep. You've heard that before. You've heard that from Grandma. You've heard it from Mama probably, but it is so true. And I I gave some illustrations last week of choices that people made and the outcomes of those choices, some good choices. God wants you to make good choices. You can make good choices. You can make all the right choices. But we also know from experience that sometimes we make bad choices. There are consequences. God forgives, but there are always scars, aren't there? Ultimately, we want to make God's choices, so seek His choices. So, this morning, our message is entitled, What God Sees. What does God see? Well, in order for us to see what God sees, I have an exercise for you this morning. So take out a clean sheet of paper, put your name at the top and the date, and I'm going to give you a pop quiz this morning. I always wanted to say that, especially to teachers. But seriously, take out a piece of paper. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a list of questions to think of this morning. These are seven penetrating questions that will tell you a lot about yourself. I discovered these maybe 20-plus years ago, and I found in my own life that I can come back to these questions and I can always see if I'm on track. They were first given by a man named A.W. Tozer, but I've seen them used in other places through the years. I don't know if you ever read Tozer. He's a prolific writer from the Christian Missionary Alliance background, and uh, I love his writing. He writes devotionally and things that you can think about and things that you can use in your life, A.W. Tozer. So are you ready? Take your bulletin. Let me recommend something. Get a, get a sermon journal. Bring it with you with your Bible every Sunday and write, write the outline down. You, you'll get more for it if you, from it if you write it down, and you can always go back and, and look at it later. So these seven questions you should record somewhere. Okay, are you ready? Question one. What do I want most? What do I want? This is about you. It's about me. What do I want most? Number two. What do I think about most? You'll quickly find those to be parallel. Number three, what do I spend my extra money on? You say, what extra money? Well, every once in a while we all all have some, don't we? What do we like to spend it on? Number four, what do I do with my leisure time? When I have time that I can choose what I'm going to do, what activity, you mothers with children say, just leave me alone. Just, just let me be quiet. Other people at different points in life say, I have too much time. What, what do I do with it? What do I do with my leisure time? And we all have some. Number five. Wow, hear that? question pops up again what company do I keep here's a probing question who do I secretly admire who do I think has it all together or who do I think if I could be like that person if I could have their life that would be the life I want who do I secretly admire? And then the last one. What do I laugh at? What do I want most? 
What do I think about most? What do I spend my extra money on? What do I do with my leisure time? What company do I keep? Who do I secretly admire? And what do I laugh at? Now, I want you to take a moment and put maybe a one or two letter answer beside those questions. No, I'm not going to take up the quiz. And no, there's no grade. Although... There's always going to be a grade when we listen to God's Word and decide what we do with it. Because one day, we're going to give account for what we hear. We're going to give account for the truth that we've been able to hear, and God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? So there will be a time. And it's good that we do that incrementally. And then we change our course accordingly. So just go down that list and maybe share with yourself a one-letter or one-word answer. By the way, this would be an excellent discussion for a group later on this week. Hint, hint, hint. Or today. Maybe you'll be a little more transparent when you're in a smaller group. Anybody want to share their answers this morning? Probably not. That's not the intention. This is, this is for you to, to think about and me. Okay, for sake of time, what do you want most? Young people, what you want most is probably what you will become. We, we spend our lives pursuing things, and ultimately, if, if we really want it, that's probably what we will become. Number two, what, is, what do you... Uh, what you want most, by the way, is usually what you think about most. The, the things that we really want, we spend our time thinking about how to achieve them and how to reach them and how to, how to get them. What you spend your money on, number three, tells you what is most valuable to you. You, you get down to the basics of money and you'll find out where your heart is. That's what Jesus said, where you're treasure is. That's where your heart is. What you do with your leisure time, number four, tells you what you really enjoy doing in your spare time or perhaps how you waste your time. Number five, what company you keep determines your destiny. I've said a lot about that already. But it is so true. Number six, who do I secretly admire? Tozer said, most Christians secretly admire the world. We may not even be aware of it. But secretly, we admire worldly people and worldly things. How unwise that is. That we would spend our lives trying to be like somebody else or wanting what someone else has when God has given us so much and a unique opportunity to become who He wants us to be if we will just pursue His wisdom. And number seven, what do I laugh at? That could be embarrassing, couldn't it? You laugh at dirty things, you probably have a dirty mind. Bad habit. Garbage in, garbage out. Be careful what you put in your mind. Your mind is like a computer. Whatever you put in there is in there somewhere, and you, some of you say, yeah, I spend all the time wondering where it is. I know I put it in there somewhere, but it's in there. Sometimes it doesn't come out to your an old person, and people are amazed what comes out. So be very careful what, what you put in your mind. So those seven questions answer this question. What does God see? He sees it all. He sees it all. Proverbs 22, 1. We're obviously in Proverbs this morning, but 22.1. Turn there or use your device to locate that verse. You've probably heard this verse many times. If not, you need to. 
Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name. What does that mean? Well, we sometimes define that as your reputation, right? What When, when somebody uh, mentions your name... What do they think of? That's your reputation. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about your reputation because your reputation is who you are to some degree. Now, you can have a fake reputation. You can look like you have it all together on the surface, but deep down, God knows better. But we should be careful to have a good name, to pay our debts, to tell the truth, to keep our word. If somebody asked me those things about you, what would they say? Well, those whom you owe, those that you do business with, they would have an opinion about that, especially if you don't pay your bills or you don't keep your word. That's your reputation. That's what other people think of you. Uh, when your teacher, when you ask, when somebody asks your teacher, What's that student's reputation? Well, they have an answer because they know something about you. Uh, what about your friends? What if, what if you went to one of my friends and said, tell me about Brian Cockrum. What's his reputation? What is he like? Pastors have to be especially careful about their reputation. There are things that we bend over backward to do that the average person might not see necessary But we have to because we have to be very careful how other people view us because that's how they view God. And I've known some pastors who have terrible reputations. They're always trying to beat somebody out of something or beat somebody down or, you know, your your reputation uh, gets around the community. So we have to be careful about that. So... We can conclude largely that your reputation is what people think of you. Now, now is that important to you? We, we live in a day when people say, I don't care what people think about me. You hear that all the time, don't you? I don't care what... Well, you better care what people think about you because when people see you, you are representing God. You may be the only Christian that someone knows and they're watching you to see what a real Christian is like. And when you say, I don't care what people think of me, God is saying a good name is to be chosen rather than lots of other things. So your reputation is important. It's what other people think of you. But there's something more important than your reputation. Something that um, only God knows about you and really deep down you know about yourself. So look back at that list again of questions. That is what God sees. You can fool other people. What's the saying? You can fool some people some of the time. And some people all the time, but you can never fool God. Thomas Paine said this. Your reputation is what other people think of you, but your character is what God knows about you. You can have a fake reputation as a Christian. You know, you can, on the exterior, you can, you can be holy on the exterior and rotten on the interior. And some people may never figure that out. Actually, they probably will eventually. And probably more people know than you think. Especially your parents. Especially your mom. Did you know that you cannot fool your mother? Because your mother knows. Have you all found that out? You cannot, you might fool your dad... You might fool your teacher one time. You might fool your principal. You might fool uh, other people, but you will never fool your mother. So don't try, because she knows. But more importantly than that, 
You can never fool God. Because God sees. What does he see? He sees everything. God sees, and his, he says your reputation is important, but your character is even more important because your character is what you really are. Character is more important than reputation. Is reputation important? Yes, reputation is important, but character is more important than reputation. Because if you have the right character, your reputation will take care of itself. Have you found that to be true? If you're the person you ought to be, and someone may misunderstand you occasionally, but overall people will say, that person is who he says he is. That person is who he claims to be. So, how important is character? Norman Schwarzkopf. Remember him from a few decades ago. I, I drift occasionally in our culture, and I find myself thinking, I wonder what Norman Schwarzkopf would say about General Milley. Well, you probably don't want to know. Schwarzkopf wasn't known for mincing words. He was like Winston Churchill. I give this illustration sometimes. My kids have heard it so many times that they are tired of it. But y'all know who Winston Churchill was. If it weren't for Winston Churchill, we'd probably be speaking German today, all of us. What a great allied leader he was. But he was rough. He was rough as a cob. And and uh, Churchill would say things. There was this sophisticated lady named Lady Astor who came to Churchill and said, Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd mix you a poison drink. And Churchill said, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> Tell you, it takes tough men to make tough decisions. And sometimes we need tough leadership. We may not like the personality, but we need the leadership. Don't forget that. Back to Schwarzkopf. <clears throat> Here's what he said. Leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character. But if you must be without one, be without strategy. Now that's a military man. That's... A military man who made a plan and got the plan accomplished. But he said, let me repeat that. I should have put it on the screen for you today, but you can look it up. Leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character, but if you have to be without one, be without strategy. That's a powerful quote. Character. Some people say character doesn't matter. We see public officials who live a despicable life and say that my life is none of you, my, my private life is none of your business. Well, let me tell you what God says. Show me a man who will cheat on his wife and his family and his country, and I'll show you a man who can't be trusted in any area of life and who has no right to lead because he has no character. That's what God sees. He sees the heart. He sees what a person really is. We think we can live as we please and that it doesn't matter. That's not what God says. That you can find somebody to tell you that. And that's an increasing view in our culture. And it's such a lie. And it's so terrible for Christians to think that way. It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. You're answering to God for the way you live. Especially if you act like you're one thing and live another way. So what does God see? Well, he sees everything. But God sees what others don't see. God sees what others don't see. You can fool your parents. You can fool your pastor. You can fool others in your life for a while. Eventually it's going to come out, but you cannot define, uh, you cannot fool God. You cannot ever fool God. And don't forget that. Now, back to character. Let's, let's try to define character. Someone has said 
that your character, which is what God sees, who you really are, is who you are when no one else is looking. Have you heard that? It's true. Your character is what you do when you think no one else will ever find out. And God sees it all. Jesus said this, There is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear and inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. That's from Luke 12, by the way. If I were preaching a message in Washington, that would be my text. All kinds of backdoor deals, all kinds of things that are decided in private thinking, no one will ever know, and if they do, I don't care. Well, God cares. Because He sees. He sees it all. You can't hide from Him. Listen to this. He knows every deed, private or public. He knows every thought. Something so private in your mind that you think, I'm the only one who knows about this. Oh, no, you're not. God knows every thought. Think about that. He knows every motive. You take this list of questions, you begin to learn about yourself and what your motives are. God already knew. And He's trying to help you get to know yourself. So you know what he knows. He knows every thought, every motive, every deed. And so you might as well be honest with him because when you are, then God can begin to shape your character. But not until then. If you deny what God says, if you deny what God knows, if you deny what you know that God said then your character will never change. Proverbs 11.3. Turn there with me for a moment. Proverbs 11.3. Isn't it amazing the depth of subjects that Solomon wrote about? Character is one of the greatest. Proverbs 11.3, The integrity of the upright will guide them, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. The integrity of the upright. What does God want from us? What does God expect from us? Well, God wants you to be upright before him. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. It means, first of all, you have to be honest with him. You know, there are times when um, I walk into a place and I used to go in a garage all the time and, and there, you know, lots of foul language, lots of stories and jokes and so forth. So the owner of the garage would say to me, or say to his men, Okay, everybody, the preacher's coming in. And everybody would kind of chuckle and laugh, you know, like, like that was cute. And I'd laugh too. But I learned to say this. You know, I appreciate the respect, but you've got to answer to somebody a lot bigger than me. Now, that makes you think. I hope it made them think. God wants us to be upright before him. He wants us to be honest with him. He wants us to be the same with him when no one else is looking, when we think no one will ever find out because God already knows. He wants you to be without blemish. That is the idea of integrity. That is the idea of being upright, to be without blemish. You say, God expects me to be perfect? Well, none of us are perfect. There was only one who walked this earth who was perfect. But let me tell you this. The day that you trusted Christ as your Savior... God began to expect you to be more and more like Jesus. And it's not just 
now I'm saved, and now I'm going to heaven, so what? I can live as I please. You know, those of us who believe in eternal security, that God's once saved, always saved, that God saves us, we get accused of that, hopefully falsely. But some people live that way. I'll just live as I please. Now that I know that, oh, that's just the beginning of learning to walk with God. It's a lifetime pursuit. And here is God's goal for every Christian, every Christian, whether you just trusted Christ and you're a child or whether you're the oldest person in here and been trying to walk with God all of your life. Here is God's goal. It's for you to be more like Jesus every day. More like Jesus. Now, let me, let me say this. You're not being like Jesus hoping that you're going to get to heaven by being like Jesus. If you try to live life that way, you're going to be a frustrated person because you'll never get there. And you might as well learn that. And God knows that. And he tells us that. doesn't mean that somehow we can achieve perfection or that somehow by uh, just our diligence that we're going to get to be more like God or more like Jesus. You can never do that. You have to let God, first of all, change your heart Come into your life, forgive your sin, which you admit to God. God, this is what I really am. I am really a rotten sinner. There's nothing I can do to even begin to please you. And when you do that, God sees your humility and your honesty, and he says, well, I can save you because you've been honest with me. It's not up to you. It's up to me. That's God's part, is to save us and to bring us into his family through the work of his son, Jesus. That's God's part. But here's our part. From the day that we trust Christ to the day we see him, we're to become more and more like Jesus. I've been working on that for about 50 years. Some days I wonder. And you do too, don't you? And those are the days when Satan comes and says... Who do you think you are? You remember when you did so and so. You remember when you did such and such. You remember, and and we began to doubt, and we began to think, am I making any progress? And then God reminds us, all of that sin that you confess to me and that is under the blood of Christ is gone forever. It will never be brought up again. That's what true forgiveness really means. When God forgives us, He chooses to never bring that up again. Now, we bring it up and Satan brings it up, but if it's under the blood of Christ, God will never bring it up again. So don't drag it around with you. Make sure that it's under the blood of Christ. And then... Trust God. He says it's been removed as far as the east is from the west. I'll never bring it up again. Don't let your Christian life drag down by past guilt. If you're guilty, tell God you're guilty. Let him change your heart and life and then go on and say, I am now your child. What you have said about me is that my sin is under the blood of Christ. It will never be brought up again. Now, what about today and what about tomorrow? I am now, I am now striving to be more and more like Jesus every day. Will we ever be perfect? When we stand before God in heaven and sin is removed, then we can live a perfect life. Until that point, we're depending on him And we're saying to him, Lord, I want to be more and more, as a believer, I want to be more and more like Jesus. By the way, did you know you can measure that in your life? Here's how you measure it. Am I more like Jesus than I was a year ago? Been a rough year, hasn't it? A lot of people slipped away from God in the last year or two. Back for a while, it was... It was the real pandemic, wasn't it? It was the spiritual disease. And the things that people turned to. And being away from God's people, being away from God's, getting away from God's word. So you ask yourself, am I more like Christ than I, am I, more like Christ than I was a month ago? I hadn't really thought about that. How about a week ago? How about a day ago? 
Am I more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? That is what God sees. He sees what others do not see. Number two, God sees what you see. He sees what others don't see. You can't fool him, but he sees what you see. Turn to James for a minute. Hold your, hold your place in Proverbs and turn over to James chapter 1 for a minute. James chapter 1. Hebrews, James. What does God say in... James is a great practical book, by the way. You just sit down and read through James and you see yourself. And here's an example. James one twenty two. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. That's why we need the word of God every day. We forget who we really are and who we really were before Christ. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And the book of James goes on in great detail to tell all kinds of situation in life, situations in life where God's trying to get us to look in the mirror and see who we really are. I know who we say we are, and we know who we think we are, but what, what does God say about us? Who does he say that we are? He sees what others don't see, but he sees what you see, and when he shows you the truth, you're like a person looking in a mirror. You get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and what do you do? Do you say, ah, what's the use, and just go into the day? When I go to Walmart, I think I see people who do that. Sorry, I... and other places in life. But most of us say, I'm at least going to comb my hair. And I'm at least going to do this or that. Otherwise, you just stumble into the day and you don't care what you look like. That's what you do when you refuse to look at yourself in the mirror of God's Word and refuse to see what God sees. And what he reveals to you. And you see it. But you don't want to do anything about it. Back in Proverbs, real quick, 11. Proverbs 11, 5. The righteousness of the blameless will direct his way aright. But the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the blameless. What is that? A person who is blameless has had his sin forgiven by the work of Christ on the cross. God looks at you as righteous because he looks at you as he looks at his son. He no no longer looks at you as you were in the past. You have had imputed to your account the righteousness of Christ When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. He no longer sees who you used to be if you have genuinely come to know Christ as Savior and and your sin has been forgiven. He will never, ever look at you the same. He looks at you just like he looks at his son. Isn't that amazing? That God would look at me that way? Not when he looks at me. He doesn't see all my failures and all the sin of the past. He only sees Jesus. And he sees me as blameless and righteous. Now God sees us as we are, but when Jesus comes in, he sees us without blemish, just like his son. And we need to see ourselves that way. We need to see ourselves as as having been redeemed and having received the righteousness of Christ. And When we see that, then we see what God sees. And we agree with God and we understand what he has done for us and how he expects us to live and how how we can live for him. So what does God see? Well, he sees things that others don't see and he sees what we see. But this is what makes him God. He sees things that you don't see. Young people, he sees down the road. 
He sees choices that will be coming up in your life. He gives you parents to help you make those choices now so that when you are on your own, you can make the right choices by looking to God because that line of authority has been established in your life. That's why it's so critical that we teach our children and discipline our children and show them this is what God says and this is what God expects. And when you respect that authority in your life and you begin to listen to your parents, then you can learn to listen to God. If you, if you miss that step in your life, you will never learn to listen to God because He can see things down the road that you can't see. And so can your parents, and so can your teachers, and so can your principal, and anybody else that God puts in your life in a position of authority. They're looking down the road where you can't see. And if you want to know what's down the road, you have to ask God, Lord, every day help me to make the right decision. Each day I'm going to have decisions to make, and I'm a fool if I don't come to your word where there's an answer to almost every decision I'll have to make and seek your wisdom so that when I get there, I'll make the right decision. That's the Christian life. That's learning to walk with God. That's listening to God. And ultimately, it's becoming more and more like Jesus. That's God's goal for our life now. God sees what you don't see, young people. God sees your life now. He sees your life down the road. He sees all these decisions that you have to make, and it's overwhelming. But not when he leads you and he shows you. You'll be able to make the right decisions. And as you are at school, he wants you to be a leader. Don't be a follower. He wants you to be a leader. You'll be the one who decides where you're going no matter what, or you'll be the one that follows somebody else and they decide what you're going to do and the decisions that you're going to make. And as a believer in Christ, if Christ lives in you and you have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and all this wisdom, you are able to make the decisions that God wants you to make and you have more wisdom than anybody in your class, maybe than in your school and even some adults included, at your disposal. Here's the Word of God. And you make decisions based upon what God shows you. So be a leader. Don't be a follower. Be a leader in your youth group. Be a leader at school. Be a leader on your sports team because you have an advantage. You have Christ in you. And you have the, the, all the wisdom of God at your disposal. But you know what it takes to be a leader? It takes character, and it takes courage. Character and courage. I'll make you two guarantees. If you give Christ your life now, it'll never be boring. So don't think being a Christian is being boring. Being is boring. And you'll never regret it. I guarantee you that. That if you give Christ your life, you'll never regret it. Now we stand at a crossroads. Bow with me this morning. We're always at a crossroads in our life. And we're at it right now. Every day as we stand at a crossroads. What am I going to do today? You know, if you stumble into the day and you don't think about it, you're just liable to make the wrong decision. But when you get up in the morning... And you spend some time with God and you say, Lord, what's going to come into my life today? What's coming into my life that I can't even see? Young people and adults, you never get too old to seek God for his wisdom because you never know what a day holds. But we're at a crossroads. And here's the crossroads. Number one, what will I do with Jesus? Your mom can't make that decision for you. Your dad can't make that decision. Your grandma or your grandpa or your preacher or anybody else. You have to make that decision for yourself. What will I do with Jesus? Will I trust him as my Savior and let him forgive me and change my heart and make me righteous so that I can then begin to live for God? 
make all the right decisions and choices in life or am I going to stumble into life blind, following others, winding up where I never intended to be and certainly where God didn't intend for me to be. At a crossroads. So this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, I'm going to invite you to do that. You can do that right where you are. You can say, Lord, I realize what you see in my heart. I'm a sinner. I have broken your law. If I have committed one sin, I've committed them all. I'm guilty. But you have said that if I will come to you, you will forgive me. You will save me from my sin. You will make me a child of God. You'll make me righteous just like your son. I want that today. I want Jesus to come into my heart. And he'll come in right where you sit. And if you're here this morning, you're already a believer. And you look at life and it's a little overwhelming. What will I do? Where will I go? What, what in the world is going to happen in my life? Don't get ahead of God. Take it one step at a time. And he'll show, as you seek him, he'll show you every decision you should make. And you'll look back. And you'll see the wisdom of walking with God and following him. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to ask all of our students to come up to the front, okay? If you're a student somewhere of some kind, I'm going to ask you to just come up to the front here. Uh, if you're a student of any age, we should all be students, shouldn't we? But I, I want to pray with you, and maybe there's somebody you want to say, would you come up here with me? Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's somebody else. Heads bowed, not trying to embarrass anybody. But we're going to pray for our young folks. But I'm also going to pray for you. Because we never get too old to learn, do we? And we never get too old to make bad decisions. We want to make good decisions. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this treasure that we have in young folks at Trinity. And Father, I thank you for their lives, that you have laid claim to their life, that you have... um, purchase them, and that you own them. And we say to you, as we hope they would say, my life's not my own. I belong to someone else. I belong to God. That affects every decision that I make. So, Father, I pray today for wise choices. I pray for wisdom. I pray that when we know that God is telling us something, that we would listen and obey, not go in the other direction and say, I could care less what God thinks. What a fool we would be to ever say that, yet people say it every day, but not us. We want to know what you think. We want to know what you know. And we want to respond accordingly. Thank you for our young folks. Thank you for the teachers in our lives and people that you've put in a place of authority, parents, grandparents, a friend, a neighbor, somebody that we respect that we listen to, or we should listen to, make us good learners. Make us people of wisdom. We'll give you the praise, Lord, when we stand before you. In Jesus' name, amen.